Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. So Outpouring family, please let's put our hands together one more time for all of our wonderful first-time guests. Uh, we, we just recently got, um, went through um, a series on, on dating for the last two weeks. Um, and it was from based from the, the, the narrative of uh, Isaac and Rebecca. And so um, we're going to continue along that line, the, the narrative of Isaac and Rebecca on this morning. Um, and we're going to talk about the family this morning. But um, before we do that, I just want to read through the scriptures and we'll get right into the message. So if you do have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 27. If you do not have your Bible, it will be uh, on the screens for you. But Genesis chapter 27, and we're going to read verses 1 through 29. Genesis 27. Sometimes I'm old school, so when you're there, shout amen to me. All right. Genesis 27 says this. When Isaac was old... And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, bless before and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread in which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who who are you, my my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son. To know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob. 
The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, but his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, are, are, you, really, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. You may be seated. If there is any one thing that the enemy would love to tear apart about our society and about us as Christians, it would be the family dynamic. And so we look out over the landscape of culture and everybody is redefining what it means to be in a family. But you and I know from a biblical perspective, God set in time eternity what a family unit was supposed to look like. And so when we think of the dynamic of a family, it is easy for us to go into the mind, this cultural mindset of a family just being a group of individuals. And we set the terms and conditions of what a family is supposed to be and how a family is supposed to function. And so we can mix, mix, mix and match it and to make it look like whatever we want to make it look like. But we know that God set what the family unit should be, a husband and a wife. Somebody say amen in this Presbyterian church. And so we stand on the biblical standard here. And so when I begin to think about the family dynamic, um, I did some research. And one of the places that I went to was focused on the family to get some research and to get a little background and prepare for this message. And so oftentimes we think of the family. We really don't think of the family as a unit any longer. And so I read this article, and this is a great article, and this guy by the name of Dick Wolf, who's a psychotherapist, but he's also a Christian author, um, he had this to say about the family. If members of the family do not consciously think about the family as a social unit, each person will focus only on his or her individual purposes. When these usually hidden agendas clash, conflict results. The family does not know how to handle it since the family is not fully functioning as a family without a purpose to which all members are committed. On the other hand, when a family is led as a family, careful time is taken to help the family adopt a purpose that is critically important to the family members. Expected behavior in light of this family purpose is discussed. I did this in my family when my oldest child was four years old, couching our purpose in four-year-old language. As the kids got older, we went over our family purpose at higher and higher levels of understanding. Our family's purpose was this, to become as a family and as people all that God wants us to be. Without such a purpose to guide behavior, a family can become dysfunctional. Teenagers drop out of such a family since they are, were never card-carrying, contributing members of a group with an important purpose. If you want your family to be a close-knit group of highly functional people, adopting a family purpose is critical. 
in the process of working towards a significant purpose with all its important goals, individual, both children and parents, stretch themselves and become more capable. Can I suggest to you that if you have a family or if you are planning on having a family, that it would behoove you and I as believers to adopt a family purpose. And so let me give you some grounds for this. There's a passage in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. And this is how we should see the family. And here's what uh, the apostle said. Apostle Paul said this as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth under Jesus. So can I tell you that the head of your family, if you did not know, is Christ and that Jesus Christ is the foundation and he should set the tone for your family's purpose. If you are a believer, that we don't get to pick and choose what it is that we do as a family, that we don't get to pick and choose how we all operate as individuals going our own way, but God put us together as a unit to work together and to give him glory. And so that is the family as we know it as a part of God's plan. But today I want to talk from this subject portrait of a dysfunctional family, a family of faith and failure. And as we've read in Genesis chapter 27, to give you an understanding, the story really begins in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls Abraham and he tells Abraham to leave his family and his kindred and go to a land that he would show him. And the wonderful thing about this, he said that Abraham, you will be a blessing and your offspring would be a blessing also, that your offspring would be a blessing to the entire earth. And so that's important. And I need you to understand what this blessing is. This blessing would include authority, dominion, prosperity. And, and typically, if you know anything about uh, ancient Near Eastern custom, the oldest son was the one who would get the inheritance. And so in this sense, the oldest son would receive the blessings. And here's what his responsibilities would be to carry on the family heritage. He would set the tone economically, socially and religiously. This person would define the family's understanding of itself. Also, he would speak for his family. He would carry on the family's vision and direction. And most importantly, don't miss this. This important part of the of the function of the oldest son will be this to pass along God's promises to the next generation. I will say that to say this. His responsibility primarily was to pass along his faith to the next generation. And so here's what happens. And, and I can only see this from the cultural lens from which I look uh, uh, oftentimes. In our families, when the patriarch dies, um, we're in an all-out pursuit, a mad dash to collect grandma's jewelry and her watches and granddaddy's car and necklaces and pearls. And if you're from the South and your traditional family church hats would be included in the inheritance. And so we're in a mad dash to collect all of these things when grandmother dies. And how many of you know when we're chasing after material stuff, right, right after the funeral, families get severed apart because we're trying to decide who's going to get grandma pearls. And so here we see a family in this story that falls apart, not in the pursuit of material blessings, but they're falling apart in the pursuit of a spiritual blessing. They found the spiritual inheritance so important and so precious that they were willing to uncharacteristically fight for it. Can you imagine if we didn't fight for grandma's jewelry, but we fought for her faith? What if we felt the same kind of way? Who's going to carry on the heritage? Who's going to be the patriarch that prays for everybody? What if we cared that much about the essential things like faith? 
So here it is. Abraham has a son, has a son of promise. His name is Isaac. And so Isaac, um, as we read in the dating series, he's a single young man and Abraham is getting old. And so before Abraham dies, in order to continue on the inheritance, he needs to find a bride for his son. So he sends his servant to back to his homeland to find a bride. And so it is a beautiful story, one of the most beautifully romantic stories in the entire Bible when Isaac and Rebekah gets together. And so God sovereignly and undeniably put them together. I mean, it was a match made in heaven. I mean, they have a prototype of what a courtship should look like. But let me say this. Just because you have a beautiful courtship does not equate to having a beautiful marriage. Just because the butterflies are there in dating does not guarantee success in a marriage unit. It takes work. It takes work in the same fervor that you had in the premarital stage. It's the same fervor and more that it will take to stay together as a family unit. And so it's beautiful. For the first 20 years, they're married. No real issues except for the fact that Rebecca's barren and she can't have children. And so what does Isaac do? Because Isaac, if you remember him from Genesis, uh, his father wants to put him on the altar because God has directed him. And so he's an obedient son. He trusts his father. And so he's a son of the promise. And so Isaac is a son of faith. And so for these 20 years, while his wife is barren, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. He's a man of prayer. He's praying that his wife will get pregnant. And what does God do? God gives him double for his trouble and gives him a set of twins. And so enter in Jacob and Esau. And this is where the story unravels, because if the marriage unit is not tight, then those little rugrats can tear the house up. Yep. Your parents actually got along with each other before you got. Did you know that? (laughs) Did you know your parents, your mom and dad was pretty tight to you? Everything was good. Then you showed up and everything just kind of went, went away. And so here it is. And you figure out which one is you. Esau is the first of the, is the oldest. He's the first of the two. And so their birth would be a precursor to what their life would be like. So when they're born, Jacob is grabbing at his brother's heel, right? Which is a sign of what is about to happen. And so Esau, Esau, he's, he's, he's a kid. He's rough around the edges, right? He's an outdoorsman. He likes to go outside, likes to play outside. He's a hunter. He's rough. He's wild. He's a free spirit. He's boisterous. He's extremely aggressive. He's his father's favorite, actually. So his father dotes on him because he's a man's. He's a man's man. He's rough around the edges. But Esau was violent. But more so than that, he was misguided. Esau is the misguided child. Esau is like that marginalized family member that really wants to fit in, but he just doesn't fit in with the rest of the family. And although he he has a desire to fit in and please his father, he just lacks the spiritual awareness and understanding of what everybody else is doing. And so he's, he's that family member that's just besides the point. He's always besides the point. And so here's the major thing about Esau. He wants the blessing. He just doesn't want the lifestyle that comes with the blessing. He wants it. He just doesn't want what goes along with it. And therefore, no matter what his dad tries to do to get it to him, God won't allow it because he don't deserve it. And then you enter in Jacob. He's the studious, quiet one. He's reserved. He's thoughtful. 
He's cultured. He's civilized. He gets good grades in school. He's the teacher's pet. He brings the report card home to mama. She doesn't have to look for his report card. <laughs> he tells on his other sibling when they come at home from school. And so he's, he's, he's even-tempered. He's reflective. He's opportunistic. Jacob is a mama's boy. He's a mama's boy. And he's his mama's favorite. But here's the thing. He's the quiet one, so he's sneaky. He's manipulative and he's deceitful. His name means to deceive. He's a trickster. But here's the thing. Both of these children have character flaws. But what separates Jacob from Esau is that Jacob believes God promises and Esau does not. That is the major difference. And so Esau lacks this one major characteristic that it takes to please God. He lacks faith. He has no spiritual vision. He re- he's reactive. Whatever happens, he just reacts to it. He doesn't think it through. And so his flesh leads him. And so from the outset, he despises the birthright. He doesn't really want it because if you know back from the story, he trades it all in over a bowl of soup because he was hungry. He trades it in. And therefore, before they're even born, it's amazing how God is infinite in wisdom. Before he's born, God chose Jacob, the youngest one, to be the one that would carry on the promise. And then we pick the story up here in chapter 27, and Isaac is in his old age, and Isaac is physically blind. And so he wants to make sure that he gives the inheritance to his oldest son, to his favorite. So what does he do? He calls him into the room, and he tells him, hey, why don't you go out there and get me some of that game that, that, you, that you like to hunt, that I like to eat, that I love so much. Why don't you go out there and hunt for me, go out and hunt the game for me, and when you come back in, I'm going to give you the blessing. Now, here's the thing. We know that both parents have a favorite, but what's setting in, what is setting in the text is this. Parental preference or favoritism, as we call it, will be the thing that will destroy them. Parents, be careful. Be careful. You might have a favorite for certain reasons, but be careful how you display that and not playing your children against each other. Because it affects the entire family. And so this harmony between the brothers would really never be possible. So here's the thing. Isaac knows that God spoke to Rebekah and told her that Jacob would be the son of the promise. He even disregards that Esau sold his birthright. He overlooks and turns a blind, blind eye that Esau is married to unbelieving women. Right. And so there's a reason why this parent is willing to overlook all of the red flags and still give the blessing to his oldest son. And so he calls him in to give him the blessing. He gives it to him privately. Why would he do that when he know that he knew that the blessing was supposed to be a public affair? Why is he hiding it? Why is he calling in one on one throughout the Bible? Whenever the father blessed the son, it was a public occasion. But he's doing this in private. And so we can take that. We can take this from that. When we we can often judge whether an action is right or wrong by our willingness to lay it open to public scrutiny. Um, wife. Husband. Is the checkbook open to your spouse? Do you have your own online banking that you don't have access to or know about? No, I'm just asking real questions. Or, or, or do you guys have separate accounts? And if they're separate, why, why are they separate? I mean, I mean, what's going on here? I mean, is the email open? I mean, is email open? Is the phone open to your spouse or not? I said spouse. I didn't say girlfriend, boyfriend. See, 
I sense y'all all in the spirit. I'm going to ask him, like, let me get his password to his phone as soon as I get out of church. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. It's not how that works. Now, they're having this private meeting between father and son. But, man, I can't help but to see this through the cultural lens from which I, I was raised. And two men are in a, in a room in the house having a conversation. But wouldn't you know it, a woman is somewhere peering in on the conversation. She's not even in the room, but she's overhearing and listening to what her, her husband and her son are talking about. And I can't help but to think about upbringing. And, and me and my brother, I mean, my daddy can have a private conversation. What y'all in there talking about? And so she's overhearing and listening to the conversation. I can just imagine her in the kitchen cooking chicken. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And she calls in her favorite son, Jacob. And what I want you to notice is in verse 5, she says, it says, now when Rebecca was listening, when Isaac spoke to his son. And then it says, Rebecca said to her son. I thought they were both the parents of both. They were the parents of both children. Parents, be careful when you tell your spouse, that's your son. That's your daughter. No, it's yours. It's both of ours. We, we, we work together to put this monster into existence. This is a mutual monster. And so she overhears what's happening. And so she knows, well, God told me that Jacob is to be the son of the promise. So I don't know why he's trying to give it to Esau. Esau don't deserve this. So what does she do? She sets her own plan in place to make sure that her favorite son gets the promise that God gave her. Now, I I get it. I get it. Her spiritual values are sound. She wants to make sure that what God told her comes to pass. Her values are good, but her method is deplorable. Her values are good. Her intentions are good, but her method is deplorable. And she's about to exploit her husband's weakness. She's about to exploit this man. And so she repeats back to her youngest son what, what, it, what is said. And so there's one major character flaw that is permeating throughout this entire story. And it's one, this one thing, deception. Deception. Everybody in the family has got secrets. And certain people know certain stuff that other people don't know. And that's a Recipe for disaster. Proverbs 20 and 17 says this bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. It might taste good and feel right going in, but eventually it'll knock your teeth out and tear your gums apart. It might work on the front end, but eventually you pay for it. So here's her plan. I'm telling you, I I really believe I, I know the identity, the ethnic identity of these people. Watch this. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats that I may prepare them, prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Now, now remember, he told him to go hunt game. Game is venison. That's deer meat. Right. She tells Jacob to bring her two young goats. She's she's really confident in her cooking skills to believe that she's going to trick a man who loves to eat deer meat into thinking that goat meat is deer meat. But she says to him, come in so I can prepare it for him. So she really believes that her cooking is so good that goats are going to smell like and taste like deer meat. 
Look at the level of her deception that she thinks she can trick her husband by cooking him something that is not even, just giving him a counterfeit. He wants real noodles. She brings oodles and noodles. <laughs> he wants a real burger. She brings him a veggie burger. You better go out there and kill a cow and bring me a real burger with some real meat. I'm not a vegetarian. Don't bring me no turkey bacon. Bring me bacon bacon, pig bacon. Knock it off. So this is deception and manipulation, and she communicates this, her plan, to her youngest son, and we see a mother using her son to work against his father. Be careful about using your young children to work against your husband. Rebecca is enabling Jacob's deceitful ways and Isaac is enabling Esau's impulsive and carnal behavior. They will never learn to be responsible for their actions. And so you see a mother and a son working against a father and a father and his older son working against the younger brother. This is bad parenting. It is a parent's duty and responsibility to guide and direct their children towards righteousness. Not just by what you say, mom, dad, but by your actions. And so why, why are parents willing to enable their children, especially their adult children? He's 30. He can go work. I'm serious. I know daddy's little girl, mama's girl, mama's daughter. But she's 27, 28. She, she's got to get out on her own at some point. You can't coddle your baby for her whole life. You are enabling and, de- and, de- and crippling your child from being fully functional in society when you enable their dysfunction. And so even at their young age, we might have to edit this part out of the podcast. If they're beha- misbehaving, smack their little hand. I'm serious. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about discipline. Time out. Time out. What is a time out? Time out is something they call in basketball. There were no time outs in my house. It was a, it was a time out for me. That's, what, that's when the time out happened. But I didn't get to go sit in no corner. I don't, I don't know if that's what, what corner. I'll sit in your room and think about what you've done. No, I'm going to give you something to think about. That was my time out. That was my time out. And so one thing that sticks out in this narrative is that through all of these scenes, the family is never in the room together at the same time. What happened when people used to eat together? Why are everybody on the go right now? People used to eat together. Parents get a chance to know, talk to their kids about their day and what happened at school. Now nobody knows because everybody's on social media, parents included. This is real. So here's why all of this is happening. One primary reason. Isaac, the father, Isaac, the husband, his leadership is lacking. His leadership is lacking. Isaac is present, but he's absent. He's in the house, but he's not really in the house. You see, you can be in the house, man of God. You can be there, but not really be there. You can be there, but you're not really involved. So you've reduced yourself just down to one who pays some bills, who makes sure the lights stay on and the mortgage is paid. But you're not actively actively involved and engaged in your children's life. That is a lack of leadership. 
It is not your wife's responsibility to clean the kids, to do everything, to instruct the discipline, to care about the schoolwork, to go to all the games. That's not her job. You should be active and playing a part in your children's life, man of God. That's real leadership. And your children need you. If you're not there, they suffer for it in some way, shape, or form. And that's not to knock single parents. Single parents are great. They do miraculous and wonderful things by the grace of God. But God intended for a man to be present in the family dynamic. I'm sorry. I don't know what culture told you. I can't make excuses for culture. I just know what thus saith the Lord. So you got to be there. And so we don't even see communication between a husband and a wife on spiritual matters in the text. So he's playing a major role in the family drama by not Leading. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It says fathers. It says fathers. It says fathers. Bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is your duty as a man of God to teach your children the commands of God and raise them that way. That is the way to life and blessings through being uh, obedient to the word of God. But how many fathers are really sitting down with their sons and daughters and talking to them about the things of God? How many how many fathers are really sitting there praying with their children? How many fathers are modeling a life of prayer before their children? And I know this might sound foreign and it may sound countercultural and it may sound like the thing that the mom does that she brings the children to church. But, Father, you're supposed to be the leader in doing that stuff. God called you to do it. Christ, head of the man, man, head of his family. And we've gotten accustomed to reversing the order and we're okay with it. And we wonder why our society is looking like the way it's looking and anything goes. And so we see a man who's not there. But can I tell you, man, Christ, Jesus Christ, he has to be constant in the family dynamic. And so Isaac is there and he sees Esau's crazy behavior. And I'm wondering throughout the story, why won't he just rebuke his children? Why, why, won't, why won't he rebuke them when he see what their downfall is? Why was he not able to rebuke? And here's the thing. Isaac has an issue himself. It mentions that he liked tasty game almost ten times. He likes tasty game. He likes tasty game. That means he likes food. He likes to eat. And would you believe it? The father doesn't have a porn addiction. He doesn't have a gambling addiction. He's not too concerned about working too hard, always at work. He has a food addiction. He has a food addiction. So he's willing to compromise what God has specifically instructed him to do in order that his son, who's the hunter, can feed his addiction. Y'all see how crazy that is? And so here's the thing, parents and future parents. Sin can render us powerless if we let it permeate in our lives. It can be quite ineffective for a parent to forbid a child not to do something if that is a present issue in your own life. And so (laughs) how can you tell your child to stop this when they see you do this? How can you tell your child you need to get it together? You, You ain't together. And so. You're wondering why your kids are looking at you like, really? 
maybe it's because they're not looking at what you say. They're looking at how you behave. Your daughter don't, don't, doesn't respect any man or respect her husband. Why? Because you didn't respect her daddy. This is real. Your, your son doesn't respect women. Could it be because you didn't respect yourself? These are real things. And it is a sobering and difficult conversation to have, but it is real. And how can we know better if we don't learn and look at the word of God to teach us? And Isaac is there. His, his palate is governing his heart and is silencing his tongue. His palate is ruling his heart. And it's controlling his tongue so much so he can't even discipline his own children. Esau, uh, Isaac knows Esau has married women outside of the covenant. He knows that. He knows that. And so he knows that his son is not worth the blessing, but he's willing to give it to him anyway. And watch, watch Isaac let his flesh take control. Verses 18 through 26. It says this. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said, his father, I am your I am Esau, your firstborn son. And so he goes through this whole dialogue. And Isaac brings up five objections. Who are you, my son? How did you find it so quickly? And these are good questions because he is discerning that something is off. Let me feel you to make sure that you're you're my son Esau or not. And then it says the voice. I can hear it. I, I know the voice is Jacob, but his hands, the hands feel like Esau's hands. And so spiritual maturity says the voice, the voice, spiritual maturity says the voice, the voice, the voice of God should supersede what you feel. (laughs) The voice should supersede what you feel. And so Isaac is having trouble deciphering and really trusting his discernment because he's having a battle in his flesh and he really wants this to be Esau so he can eat. <laughs> My spirit is telling me it's not right, but I want it so bad I got to have it now. And so I'm willing to trade in the blessings of God for this temporary satisfaction because I got to feed my addiction. And so he knows his, his spirit is not, he's unsettled in his spirit. And at any point, all he had to do was just say, you know what? I don't know who you are. I'm going to just wait till the other one comes in the room. I'll just wait. i just wait till both of y'all get here. And then I'll know who's who and what is what. But he can't hold himself together because he's led by his, by his flesh and his flesh is leading his life. So he's making an impulsive decision. He's giving priority to his physical appetite over his spiritual discernment. How often do we do that? We do it all the time. And so Isaac, he's not even the person that he once was. Isaac's spiritual apex was when he prayed for his wife and she gave birth to the children. But he heads down the wrong path as he gets older. And so at the moment of this text, he's 100 years old. Now you're like, oh, my God, he's really old. But these, these people lived a long time back then. Right. So he's 100 and he still has years left. He lived a long time after this. And here's the thing I want you to take away from Isaac's life. He begins with a life of prayer and he ends with a life of prayerlessness. And I said that to say this. He started out with such strong fervor as a young man. But as he got older, his his spiritual life deteriorated. And my point in that is this. And I want you to hear me and hear me good. 
age is not a determinant of spiritual maturity. Faithfulness is. You can be 60 and foolish. You can be 75 and a spiritual baby. Or you can be 30 and be on fire for the Lord and making wise decisions. You can be 22 years old and have wisdom beyond your years because God's grace is on your life and you obey God and you live for him. And so God gives you insight and wisdom and you make sound, good, clear, God-honoring decisions because you're in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. But age is not a determinant of spiritual maturity. There is nothing more tragic in life than seeing a person who once was on fire for the Lord and they slowly and gradually walk away from it as they get older. And I get it. Life happens to us all. We all have setbacks, tragedy, and things, unforeseen circumstances that happen to our lives. People walk out, people leave, people die, people come, people go, and it can affect us all. But we have to remain rooted and grounded in what God called us to regardless of the circumstances that are around us. Don't lose your fervor as you get older. Just because you're on fire now does not mean you'll be on fire later. You have to cultivate your relationship with God continually. Because you're saved one day does not mean that you're going to be on fire the next season of your life. The true test of your spiritual faith is how you respond in times of adversity. Not when things are going good. Everybody's a believer when things are great and they believe that God is blessing them. But how are you when things are falling apart and you don't know which way is up and you don't know when that season is going to end? Where's your faith at at that point? That's when your spiritual maturity uh, grows and your faith is really on display by the difficult seasons of our lives. And so here it is. Jacob gets the blessing. And his father gives him the blessing. And here's the thing. Rebecca and Rebecca and Jacob went through all of this elaborate scheme and plot to get this blessing. But here's the thing. God told them, God told Rebecca at the outset, Jacob was going to be the one to get the blessing. He said that. So why? Why would she intervene with the plan of God? Why would she intervene with the plan of God? And so although he did bless Jacob and their deception seemed to work on the surface, it was a horrible plan. But just because they got what they wanted didn't mean that God approved of it. Just because God grants your wish and you maneuver and finagle your way into something does not mean that God's blessing is on it. It doesn't. Because what God has for you is for you. The blessings of the Lord make it rich and added no sorrow. So if God gives it to you, all you need to do is sit back and be faithful and wait on God to give it to you. But what happens is you put yourself in a predicament when you position yourself ahead of the will of God. And then you end up having to pay for it. Your children have to pay for it years later. And some of us had a tab so high before we even got here. And we're paying off and working off debts that were racked up before our foot ever touched the ground. Because somebody wasn't willing to wait on the promises of God. God's people should never stoop to the level of deceptive practices as a means to gain God's blessings. We should strive to achieve God's will righteously. Righteously. 
If something belongs to you, it is yours. You will have it. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. God is going to give you everything that he said that he was going to give you. You just got to wait upon the Lord. Don't let Satan trick you out of taking some shortcuts and hurdling some stuff and maneuvering people out of the way to get what you want. Wait on God to give it to you. Wait on God to give it to you. But what if Rebecca didn't overhear the conversation? Wouldn't he have just blessed Esau and gave it to Jacob? Don't you know that God is so powerful and God is so omnipotent that he can step down and, and intervene in divine history and move things out of the way. And he would have came in and blocked it from happening and got in the way or distracted them or did something to get in the way. But they couldn't wait. But all I need to tell you is this. Even if it looks like somebody else is going to get what God told you that you are going to have, all you need to do is sit back and wait on God to make his move in human history. It's yours. It's yours and you don't need to result to doing other stuff to get it. You don't have to undermine or discredit somebody else's work because you want the promotion. Let them be great. You just do what God has called you to do. You be faithful in your cubicle. You be faithful in your desk at school. You be faithful in your marriage. You don't have to jockey for position. Because if God is going to give it to you, he's going to give it to you. Faith is living without scheming. Faith is living without scheming. You don't have to scheme to get God's promises to you. All of these people had consequences. Isaac lives without significance. Eventually, Jacob has to go on the run because Esau is going to kill him. And so Rebecca, remember, she told him, I'm going to fall on the sword for you. And she's like, I just need you to go. Go to, your, go to Laban's house, my brother, and just hide out, not knowing that she would never see her son again. She never saw him again. She never saw him again. Her, her relationship with her other son Esau was damaged. But her deceptive practices put her in a position that even at the end of the story, she's not even memorialized like the rest of the patriarchs. Jacob, well, yeah, he gets the blessing. But you know what happened to Jacob? Time and time again in his life, people continue to deceive him. People continue to deceive him. His uncles deceived him. His children deceived him. And he's on exile and he's on the run. Even though he has the promise. Because... We reap what we sow. That is so sobering. But it's so biblical. But here's what I love. That we serve a God whose grace is sufficient. Would you put Hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 on the screen? Isaac just messes everything up. Destroys everything character falls by the wayside and he ends up blessing Jacob unintentionally. He gives a blessing to the right son even though he was deceived but his intent was to give it to the wrong son. But here's what it says when it talks about the patriarchs and the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 20 by faith 
Because here's the thing. He knew that the promises were right and true. He just wanted to give it to the wrong person. But God's intervention got it to the right person anyway. And so when it mentions Isaac, when it talks about all the Old Testament patriarchs, it does not bring up his mistakes. It does not bring up his foolishness. It does not bring up his flesh. It does not bring up his messed up marriage with his wife. It does not bring up his messed up relationship with his son Jacob. All it says is by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Why is that important? Because God does not even mention his mistakes anymore. All God knows is that he had the faith to believe that what I said was true. Yeah, you might reap what you sow, but God's grace is still sufficient for your life. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, no matter what you've or who you've deceived or manipulated, it is not to excuse it, but it's to say God's grace covers it. That by the blood of Jesus, it is covered. It's swept under the blood of Jesus. Thank God that he does not hold my mistakes against me. Thank God for his grace. That when he looks at me, he doesn't look at me as this carnal, fleshly, impulsive person. But he just sees that we have faith. That is the beautiful thing. That is the beautiful thing. What is the blessing? The blessing is ultimately found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives us all of these blessings that they were fighting for. So we have what they wanted. And we don't have to maneuver, deceive, or manipulate people to get it. It is a free gift, and it's called salvation. So no matter what you've been doing, how deceitful you've been, If you repent and turn from your wicked ways, that God is willing to forgive you and bestow bestow everything on you that you don't deserve. No Christian ever deserves anything that they have. None of us deserve God's goodness. We've all been disqualified. Everybody. If you've been saved 50 years or you've been saved five days, we don't deserve it. But the free gift is still made available through Jesus Christ. Thank God for Jesus. Come on, put your hands together if you were blessed by the word today. Come on, you can do better than that. Put your hands together for Jesus today. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.